I think of just being honest with yourself of like going on, why is this scary? What are you afraid could happen? And putting that out there. And then sometimes just saying it is like, oh, you know what? Like, it's not as scary as I thought it was. So you want to make an impact. You're thinking about starting a business, sharing your voice. How do women do it? handle motherhood, family, and still chase after those dreams? We'll listen each week as we dive into the stories of women who know. This is Call Me CEO. In this episode, you're going to be hearing a lot about strategy and what to do when you think you are ready to level up your business, but you're not quite sure how to do that. So as we go into this episode, I first want you to think about creating space for your dharma. What is Dharma? Well, I've been listening to a book called Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. And there's this part that I specifically wanted to zone in on where he talks about thinking about your interests in four quadrants. The first quadrant is something that you're good at, but you hate doing. He said a lot of times people get stuck in jobs like this because you're good at it. You know what to do. You're efficient at it, but you hate it. Okay. We don't want to live there. Number two is something that you're good at, that you love. You have a passion for it. It's so fun for you. This is where you want to live. Quadrant number three, something that you're bad at, but you love. This is something that, you know, you may not be the best, but you love learning about it. And there is something in you that just keeps pulling you to want to learn more. Fantastic. And the fourth quadrant is something that you're bad at and you hate it. And I can tell you with each and every business owner that I've spoken with, there is something in that quadrant that they're bad at and they hate doing. And for whatever reason, they hold on to the responsibility of that item for far too long. In this episode, I want you to think about that quadrant and think about what you can systematize or move off your plate onto someone else's plate that's much better at that thing than you are so that you can live in quadrant two of something you're good at and something you love. Welcome back everyone to another episode of Call Me CEO. This is your host, Camille Walker. And today we are talking with Jill James, the owner, entrepreneur, and creator of The Jill James, which is a powerhouse that helps you go from a founder to a CEO of your own massively successful company. Now, what I love about Jill is that her approach isn't a one-size-fits-all. It's more about tailoring your approach so that it fits into your life. And you know that I'm all about that because we celebrate different stories each week here as we talk to different founders, owners, and CEOs. So Jill, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me, Camille. You're very welcome. I love so much from your bio that you came from a small town of Wisconsin all the way to Wall Street and now developing your own business. And I'm thinking a book title, Wisconsin to Wall Street is a really cool, (laughs) like that was kind of a cool play on words. Tell us about how you got started and how you went from a small town girl to then now creating a massively successful business. Sure. So I'm originally from a town of about a thousand people in central Wisconsin, but I feel lucky in that both sets of my grandparents had small businesses. So I grew up working in one grandparent's general store, making cherry coats, Coke, stocking the candy case, making change in the old fashioned cash register. From the time I was five or six years old, I would go stay for a couple weeks and like actually work in the store. And I thought it was amazing. I, it was so much fun. So I've always uh, had family that has had businesses. Um, you know, one of my aunts had a dress shop for a while. My gra- other grandparents had a feed and trucking business. So lots of different kinds of businesses. I've always been a student, a natural student. So I have asked a lot of questions about like, how does this work? What do you do? So that I think that carries over across everything that I do is like, I just like to learn about how things work. I'm not a manual how things work. Like I can't fix anything that's physical, but if you give me a concept, like I can figure out how to make it work. So, you know, in thinking about that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but there were only a couple jobs available in my small town. Um, and I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I got lucky and oddly enough, like at a 4-H fashion review, I had made some clothes for myself and I got sent to the Wisconsin State Fair and a couple of the other girls there in the fashion review had Harvard sweatshirts on. And I was like, oh, did you get that at this 
you know, local chain store, which was super popular to have Harvard sweatshirts. And they're like, no, I'm actually going to Harvard. And I was like, how did you do that? And they kind of explained to me how college admissions worked and that I should really aim higher and see what I could get because, you know, not a lot of people from smaller towns apply to elite colleges. So I started throwing in some applications and I got into the University of Chicago and decided to go. And I think that was like a big game changer for me um, because I just didn't understand the possibilities of the world until I got there. And also that like I could compete with you know, people who had gone to prep school and people who had had, you know, a different kind of education and background than I did. And it was really just a level playing field of people who like to learn and, and wanted to try different subjects. So I don't think I would have ever ended up on Wall Street if not for the recruiting program there. You know, one of my friends, as I was like, I don't know what I want to do. She's like, throw in some resumes, see who picks you. It was a really good year. So I happened to get uh, an offer from JP Morgan when it was just a standalone investment bank before it was part of Chase. And um, I decided that was the most interesting job. So I took it and uh, I moved out to New York and I, you know, worked in the bank for a little over a year and kind of got the gist of how big companies work. And there was a dot-com boom going on at the time. And so I kind of jumped ship and was like, I don't want to wait 10 years to be able to do something interesting. I want to do it now. So I worked at a startup for a while and we got acquired, which was amazing. Um, but then the dot-com dot bust happened and I went back to finance. So the kind of the progression of this is like I've gone from finance to tech to finance to tech until the point that I started my company uh, in 2015. And I did that. Uh, I was a COO of a venture-backed tech company. Uh, and I was, you know, flying out to Dallas every other week and negotiating our deal. And, you know, I just realized I should have probably realized this before I was seven months pregnant, but I realized that seven months pregnant, it was not going to work in the long term for me to have that job. So the best uh, option was I had a couple of people um, who had said, hey, if you ever want to do this for me, I wouldn't want it full time. But you know, if you want to, like you could work for me and, and be my fractional COO. And that's how my company started. So, you know, for years, I had tried to think of that big idea that would get me venture and like kind of be the billion dollar company. And I just never really had that idea. And then ultimately what it came down to was like, I started a services business at seven months pregnant because I had a client and that was what I could do. And so, you know, that's kind of how this company started. And that was, you know, I had my baby and my company at the same time. So I was calling them my twins because... Everything in my business has been designed around my son's needs up until the point that he went to kindergarten. Oh, my goodness. Uh, first of all, there's so much for me to chew on that I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like I'm going just those little bits of opportunity where meeting those girls at a 4-H fashion show at a state fair, like what? Like, how does that happen? And then just there, I think there's a lot of lessons in that and like taking opportunities that may not seem like they would be so transformative. And then also where your friend said, just throw it out there, see what's available, put your resumes out there, see who latches on. I think that you've been able to teach so many life lessons just in that scope of time that you just shared with us that a lot of times it's about taking what's available and with this business, okay, I have someone who wants to pay me for what I know what to do. What if I lean into that and what happens, you know, like that is what a powerful experience. Now, for those of you who are listening like me, who are thinking a factional COO. So are, is, does that mean that you're doing operations? Does that mean that you are helping them with strategy? Like talk us through that a little bit so that we can understand at a larger scale, what then your business turned into. Sure. So when I started, I basically was doing the job that I had been doing for, you know, my last two or three jobs, partnering with a founder and figuring out how to operationalize their vision. So, you know, the founder would say, you know, this is where I want to go. They were really focused on customer, maybe on product. But running the business was not a thing that was in their wheelhouse. And I really like to run businesses. I like finance. I like personal wealth. I like operations. I don't like HR, but I'm good at it. <laughs> so kind of all of those things that, you know, there are six or seven buckets that fall into operations in most small companies. And I have exposure and have done a number of those jobs. So, you know, to be able to step into a small company and kind of say, okay, we're going to put your systems and your finances and how you hire people and your agreements and your legal, we're going to whip that all into shape, right? And then we're going to uh, be able to make it repeatable so that you don't have to think about whether or not those things are working for you. Because mm. I think those are the things that for a lot of founders, they don't know what they don't know. And it's really scary 
know, I've had people call me like the person who makes sure I don't go to jail. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's the kind of, you know, unknowing mistakes that you could make that could actually like lead to some serious trouble. Like, you know, there are just rules you have to follow. Um, and I think when we're, you know, new founders and we're trying to make our way, sometimes, you know, there isn't a set way to learn that. And often we learn through trial and error. And sometimes the errors are painful and expensive. So my focus has really become, you know, I started out doing the fractional work where I could only work with like two or three companies at a time. And after a couple of years of that, I really saw that most of the founders I was working with had this common problem of they were not business operators, nor should they be business operators, right? There was some stuff they had to learn as CEOs to be good operators, but, and to help make decisions, but that wasn't going to be their day-to-day job. And it wasn't right for it to be their day-to-day job. So for them to grow, we had to keep them out of the day-to-day operations, make that my job and my team's job and set them free to work on their zone of genius, which is, you know, customers, sales, revenue, product, right? Kind of building that vision for the company, leading the company. And so, you know, I think I hear from a lot of people like, I don't think I should be a CEO because I don't know this stuff. Well, I mean, most CEOs have a layer of stuff that they know, but they leave it to somebody like me to actually do it um, and make sure that it's in front of them at the right time. So the way that my business has changed, like I'm now six years in, the way that it's changed over the past four years is I've moved much more to working on designing people's businesses of thinking about like, what do you want to be a CEO? What's your purpose for this business? What do you want to put in the world? And then we design the business to be profitable for a staffing plan, a budget, and then the kinds of operational things that we need to do that actually move the business toward where they want to go. So, you know, I start with a business design process and then I help the founder implement it for at least six months, which is typically where we start. Wow. I I know from experience and in many interviews that I've done that that is a big pain point for a lot of entrepreneurs because a lot of times entrepreneurs are more visionary and are more into the process of the vision not so much the step-by-step minutiae and like you said, the HR and the hiring and the, the books. So what would your suggestion be for someone, say, that's been in business for five years and they're ready to hire out more, perhaps they're ready to create more of a vision. Do you think that that, like, what would be a common question that people would come to you with? And what would be maybe the first steps to take with taking a, a small company into something bigger? Mm-hmm. I think the first thing that we really talk about is like that, what is your role as CEO, right? So who do you want to be to the company? What kinds of things do you love to do? What kind of things do you hate to do? I have my clients do this love-hate exercise where we want to skew their job to things that they love. And we want to quickly take off their plate the things that they hate because it just drags down your energy when you're constantly pulled in those things that you truly deeply dislike. There are some things that we can tolerate and are like, and this is kind of, but everybody has a hate list. And I think it's okay to embrace the hate list Mm -hmm. and get that off your plate. Like that's a top delegation priority because it will drag you down. That's an obvious place to like make some investments and, and get that moved off your plate. So uh, that's like the work part of it. And then it's also, you know, what's your vision? What's your purpose for the company? Why are you doing this? You know, what do you want for the people who work here? What do you want for your your customers? What does this do in the broader world? Most of my my clients have some kind of purpose that they want to put in the world through their work, some kind of change that they want to make. And so we want to make sure that always stays in the forefront as a pillar of how we make decisions of does this serve the customer? Does this serve our purpose? And if it doesn't, that helps us make decisions about things that can fall away because they might be things that other companies do, but they're not right for us. And then the last piece of it, I ask a lot of questions about personal finance. Um, I kind of jumped over this part, but I was a personal financial advisor for a couple of years uh, when I lived in New York. And so by being the owner of a self-funded small business, there's a different world of opportunities available to you in terms of how you pay yourself opportunities for wealth building, opportunities for building the value of the company if it's something you think you want to sell down the line. So how do we make sure that you are being compensated and getting to your personal goals while you put all this good in the world? So it's a balance to me of you have to get paid from the beginning uh, to make it a real business if you're self-funded. So how do we make that happen? 
so that's a big piece of uh, the first part. And then we actually go into like the unit economics of the business and like what activities are we doing that are not profitable that we should stop doing? How can we repackage what we do to do the most profitable things that are the most valuable to our customers? Because that's the, the best zone for a sustainable small business. You want to do things that are hard for big companies to do that you can make a lot of money at. Hmm. Do you feel like when you're presenting these questions, how long would you say it typically takes for someone to get through that process of going through those questions and finding answers that help them to move that needle and that accountability to move forward? I find like once people are ready to start, I mean, I, I do this sort of in a three session uh, where, you know, we, we focus on like the you and the business design and it's just a lot of talking in the first two hours. Typically within, you know, the first two hours or about a week of thinking about it, when you ask the questions a certain way, people are like, you know what, this is why I'm doing this. This is meaningful to me. These are my non-negotiables. I know what I love and hate, right? When you ask questions that are sharp like that, we cut out the middle, right? You know what you love to do. You know what you really, what really bugs you, right? So that helps us, you know, get more focused on things that you can clearly answer with conviction, like right off the top. Right. I, if you're in your business every day, a lot of these things are things that you know. It's just that nobody's asking you this question this way. So um, I find that, you know, when we ask the questions in terms of like what you what you are doing, why you're doing it, right, what your vision is for it, what you want to make and being given the freedom to say, like, you know, this is my ambition for this. Like this is, this is, it's okay to say, I want to make money from my business. It's okay yes. to say, I want my business to be this big, right? When I'm sitting with someone who can say, okay, well, here's a path to how we get there. And I think that takes up some of the scariness of when we can put together some stepping stones of this is how this looks in six months and 12 months and 24 months. If we do these things in this order, all of a sudden it doesn't seem so unachievable or like this kind of chaotic soup that you have to kind of wade through to figure out and grab things, you know, kind of out of the muck as you go, there's actually a, a path and a progress that for you is like, we're going to do this for second, third, you have somebody to ask who knows the answer to most of the questions or is going to put you, you know, in touch with the right referrals of people who align with you and can do the work. I think that makes things a lot easier because we spend a lot of time thinking about like, how am I going to solve this problem or who could I ask? And then we kind of boil the ocean by interviewing six or 10 people and trying to decide like who's going to be the right fit. And it just creates a lot of paralysis. So mm -hmm. I try to boil everything down to like one or two people who are a good fit and kind of do that work without bringing it to the CEO. So that I think that's really helpful. Of Like if you have a narrower set of things to choose from, it really helps you make a decision. Yeah, for sure. Now, when you started this business and you have obviously, you have so much experience that led up to this place of you creating this business for yourself, how did your business go from there? And what was the best thing you did to grow your business from that one first client to now the many? I think the best thing that I did was move away from hourly billing it just didn't feel aligned with what I wanted to do for the client. And, you know, then I wasn't getting the information I needed because every time they went to call me, they're like, is she going to charge me for 15 minutes? Like mm. what's, what's happening? Like I need a steady flow. I need a steady diet of information about everything going on with you. Right. And no hesitation to share it. No hesitation to say, you know what, let me send this to her and, and see like, let, let me not try to figure this out. Let me just send it to her and ask the question. So when I moved from more of like a pure consulting model that kind of was, you know, by the hour, things like that to kind of set packages for periods of time with scopes of work, I think that was a big change in my business because it shifted from, I'm just this day-to-day -day person and, you know, we have to think about it every time that we want to ask for something to, this is my partner for this long. I've committed to it. She's going to help me. And like, we're going to go from here to here in this period. Um, and I think that's made a huge difference. It also helps me spend less time on marketing and promotions and finding that next client so that I can really do deeper work with my clients. Mm. How were you able to set your pricing? And was that difficult for you? I mean, it's always a dance on pricing. I think yeah. this is, because this is what I do, there's, you know, I have some analytic tools that I can use, but one thing that's been really helpful for me that I've carried over from when I was, I, I kept 
uh, I carried over from when I was doing hourly billing is mm. I still keep, keep a time record. I still use Harvest and I have it integrated with my calendar and I keep track of everything that I do, whether it's for business development or internal management or working on a client. And I have it broken out by whether we're having meetings or I'm doing work. And that way, periodically, I can look back and say like, how much time am I actually spending on this? And what did I do? Right. And I, you know, if I'm finding that like these clients have stepped up a level, like, you know, their businesses have grown, we're dealing with more sophisticated things, you know, then I can create a different tier of, hey, you're a little bigger. We're doing different stuff here. Like your, you know, monthly retainer or your six month retainer is going to go to this price. And so that it just keeps me honest of not over delivering. And also, you know, looking at like, how much time did this actually take me or where can I delegate something, you know, that would keep the price the same? Like, I don't need to be the person doing this. So uh, I, I find that that time tracking, both the discipline of keeping track of what I'm doing and then having a record to look back is really, really helpful for, for pricing and for structuring my work. I really like that. I think that it's, I have a, a coaching business where I've, created a virtual assistant course for women to start businesses and work from home. And Mm -hmm. it's always this debate of, is it hourly? Is it package? Or how do I put that together? And I think I really like how you said that, how it's you, you stay accountable to what you're offering, but it's also, you can keep track of that time, valuing that time and exactly, you know, knowing what that looks like, but also to be totally invested so that you're not going back and forth and thinking, oh, well, that was a 15 minute phone call. Now what? Cause that's true. Yeah. I have had time where I've thought that before in a situation where I was talking to someone and I thought, oh man, we just chatted for 20 minutes on DMS. Did, was I getting charged for that? <laughs> you know? Right. Which, right. It, that's a thing. So, so you have a team now, how long did it take you to go from yourself to now a team and how did you introduce those those key players on in your own business mm-hmm. uh, it's been gradual I, I think the most important thing is uh, adding a virtual assistant who's like an executive assistant and I do use I still use a lot of consultants I haven't had any permanent w2 employees yet mm-hmm. that's something that's coming up for me so if any of uh-huh. you really love modeling and finance out there and you like small businesses, I will have a job posting coming out in the next couple. Did you of say modeling and finance? Yeah. No, two yeah. separate jobs, or maybe a really good-looking accountant. <laughs> <laughs> well, modeling is when we build the um, how the business works. Okay, so you're not talking for business. like product. No. Okay. Okay. No, okay. I mean, I'm in LA, so people are tend to be very pretty here. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's a financial skill uh, okay. to be able to model out the cash flows in a business. Got it. Okay. And now I know what you're saying. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, Yes. Yeah. No, we're, we're completely EEOE here. We will, will not judge people on their looks. <laughs> so uh, yeah, from that perspective, I think uh, the first thing was, you know, just some of the day-to-day management, like being in your email all the time is a time killer. Mm. So, you yeah. know, I have my VA checks once an hour. Is there anything critical? Is there anything action oriented that needs to come to my attention? What can she take care of? Uh, you know, any bookings, things like that. Um, you know, I've I've tried to use more standard operating procedures. In fact, like just this morning, I redid my standard proposal so that all the pricing is up to date and it's standardized. And like we're just dropping in like two things, and we can get it out the door. So you know, there are things like that of trying to do the most with the people that you have. Uh, mm-hmm. We use a lot of Loom videos to like mm-hmm. as I do it, I make a recording, hand it off. Yeah. Or, you know, when we go from person to person, like just show how you did it so mm-hmm. that we have that guide. So I found that that's really helpful. But yeah, definitely the first thing is, you know, a VA, even if it's just 10 hours a month or a couple of hours a week, just to be able to hand something off, um, learning that delegation and getting those, you know, important but low value tasks off your plate. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's a great place to start. And then beyond that, I think there are times probably when, you know, you have to think about like, do I need this person forever or do I need this person seasonally or what do I need? So there have been times that I use a personal assistant, a PA. Sometimes there's stuff in my life that I need taken care of so I can spend the time on work. So I'm terrible at opening physical mail. <laughs> so it's like go through the mail pile, scan it, put it in my Dropbox, you know, uh, all the way to, you know, run and pick up the target order that I put in, right? Like, you know, you can still do the ordering if you want, but like send somebody else to pick it up and bring it to your house. 
So, you know, sometimes there, you know, it might be something personal in your life. Uh, like a couple of years ago, my son's school ended at 3.30. I needed the full day to work till six. So I hired someone to like be a nanny for him just from three to six every day. Right. And she would pick him up, you know, bring him home and they would have a good time for a couple hours until I was done with work. So, you know, there are all different ways that it can look on your team to make it work for you, both to create the space that you need to do the work uh, and grow your company. It might be something with your family or things that you have to take care of in your home where someone, you know, it's it's a good use to have someone help you with that versus also taking work off your plate. So again, like looking at that, what do I hate to do list, right? Like one of the first or the other initial hires, like I, even though I know how to do my own books, I hired a bookkeeper really quickly because it's just, you know, it's not worth my time. It's something that somebody else can do and do at a high quality for a relatively reasonable price. So, you know, I have, I have a pretty big professional team. You know, I have an insurance specialist and I have a real estate broker and I have a banker. I think that's one that people miss is to have a relationship with someone at your bank because as your business grows, you can call upon them for all kinds of solutions for your business. So I really rely on that professional team around me to like be pros and give me shortcuts for a lot of these things. Hmm. I really like that. Now, before we started the call, we've talked about systematizing things, which I think is huge. That's something I struggle with for sure. So having someone with a brain that works like yours is a big deal. <laughs> But also the mindset of a CEO and what does that look like and getting over hurdles. And we were talking before this conversation was being recorded that when I changed my website, well, I still own, I have a website called mymommystyle.com, which is a lifestyle website for moms with recipes and lifestyle and parenting and travel, all of those things. And I was going more into the business space and I was trying to decide what to make my handle if I was going to do camillewalker.com, which was taken. And then I thought, well, I could do .co, but people don't always search .co. And it was this whole thing. And the Camille Walker was available, but my husband said, oh, don't do that. That's like, so that sounds so conceited. And so I was relating that story and pick up from there and tell, tell me what you said. Sure. So the name of my company for the first five years was SIF Industries, S-I-F. And there's a whole story around that. And like, it ended up being like too much. Like when I explained the story, people were just like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. But it didn't mean Mm. anything. Like the brand didn't mean anything to people. So uh, about a year and a half ago, I went through a branding exercise with a brand and, and creative specialist. And when we went through the exercise, she was just like, you know what? You need to be the Jill James. And I was really uncomfortable with it. I was just like, no, we're not doing that. I don't want to be a personal brand. And she explained to me why, uh, as the leader and the CEO of the company, I needed to be out front, at least for you know the next few years of you know people recognizing me and coming to the business for me and the team that I'm building. But to know that the discipline is around the things that I've learned and experienced in my life. And she actually you know encouraged me to flex more of like. She, she knew what I had done for the companies that I had worked with. And she's just like, I know you're, you know, you come from finance. We don't tell other people secrets, but, you know, I know the work that you've done. So, you know, how can we tell those stories about what you've done or empower those clients to come forward and provide you with testimonials and stories because the work that you've done is really valuable. So to me, it's more um, like I'm by nature a behind the scenes person. And so her push was, You've got to conquer that and get out front. And this is a way to push you to do that. If your name is on the company, you're going to step forward and be that leader. So it took me, like we had everything in a box ready to go by September of last year. And it took me to April to actually put it out in the world. Because every time I thought about it, I was just like, I'm not ready to own this. Like being the Jill James and making that the name of the company just you know, I I agree with what your husband said is like, there is a growth process that goes into putting your name on the company in that way, especially if you're kind of a service oriented person. Like I I'm, I'm definitely a service oriented leader and I just, I just want to help. Like I want to help people do the things that are meaningful for them. So to like splash my name across it felt like a big push. So, you know, I think until you're ready to step into that, you know, maybe that's not the right thing for you. 
but it did give me the push I needed to, you know, think about like where I wanted to take the company and what was that next level. And, you know, for what I wanted to charge and how I wanted to structure my, my working relationships going forward, I really did need a different kind of brand. Yeah. Well, I think it's brilliant. I love that you chose the Jill James because there really is so much for you uh, that you offer. And also that people automatically are investing in getting to know who you are Mm -hmm. to understand the business. And I think that that speaks for itself when it's your name and it's the Jill James. And I have a quote here that you said in an interview recently, this was with shout out LA. And you said, I'm about as risk-taking as the average man, but as a woman, I'm an off-the-charts risk-taker. That's been important for me to understand in helping others approach change and hard decisions. And I think that that is one of those moments where you took that risk of knowing, you know, maybe this isn't something I would have been comfortable even five years ago doing or in 2015 Mm -hmm. when you started it, but you are in this place claiming this space and it's so powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's definitely been a moment, a big moment of transition. There have been many other life transitions in the last year, year and a half. So, you know, rebranding has gone along with that. And it's what I have learned from the clients that I've worked with is you have to go out to the edge of your comfort and a little beyond. If you go too far, it shuts you down, but you've got to go a little bit out of your comfort zone and kind of learn to live in that space. That's just a little beyond where you want to go. And that's where growth comes from. I love that. I think that there's a lot of power in that. And that's right where fear exists, right? Where it's like just enough where having a mentor or a coach can help you to see that and frame it in a way that it gives you a step-by-step process. And I think that's where a lot of us get hung up is knowing, well, what's that next baby step without taking a huge leap that I can't sustain. So what would your advice be for those who are in scenarios like that? How do you help them determine what those steps are? Um, To just kind of get a little push forward. When I think about that, like some of the comfort that I take is in numbers, right? Most of the founders that I work with are really good at spinning a great story about like who they are and what they do and the vision that they have for the company. But there's also a financial story that you have to be able to tell. How many customers do I need? How much money will that generate? Who would I need to hire? How much would that cost? Right? What would I have to pay in taxes? And making a companion to the story that we're telling kind of in a more comfortable space, in a storytelling space, having numbers that go with that, for me, always calms me down. So I know not everybody does this, but when I have a freak out moment, like I crack open my spreadsheet and I'm like, how many, how many customers did I say I was going to need? Am I there? Do I have the pipeline for it? Okay. Like I have trust, you know, from experience of if I do these activities, it will come. Sometimes it's a little slower. Sometimes it's a little faster, but it always happens. And so for me having some kind of roadmap of what I expect to happen if I do certain things and seeing that it's happening, it takes away some of that anxiety for me. Um, and I have seen that with my, my clients, like we will, you know, make their design and let's kind of be like, this seems really aggressive. Like, I don't know if I can do it. And we can say like, well, let's give it three months. And if we see the business moving this way, we'll keep going. And if we don't see the things that we predicted happening, we'll reevaluate. And that's part of like having a longer relationship, mm-hmm. right? Because then we can see like, did the things that we predicted, did the things you think you understood about your customer and about, about your audience, like, are those things happening? Like, are we moving in that direction? And I think having those successes, you know, I work on a 90 day implementation plan after we make the plan and I sit with the client and do it because you need to see that the success is happening. You need to see that like, this is actually a real thing. This is reasonably predictable and you can count on it if you do these activities. So, you know, kind of getting, getting those early wins, I think, and like seeing that the path is one that you can handle and having somebody with you who kind of like in those scary moments, you know, that sometimes our business reviews are just like, this is freaking me out. Right. And we talk about why, but I think you have to manage each new plateau or each new kind of limit that you hit your mindset has to like go past that, right? So you can sit separately and do mindset work, but I find it works better like as you're running the business, when you hit that moment, like let's address it and figure out like what is the scary part of this and like how can we make a strategy 
to make you comfortable walking through that scary part and knowing that you have somebody with you. And so that I find is the way that we move forward is we just kind of keep finding those those new limits and being like, this next part feels scary again. And we can look back at the success that we've had and how we've pushed through it to make a strategy for the next. And sometimes people just want to stay where they are for a little while. And that's okay. So, you know, I, I, I think of just being honest with yourself of like, what's going on? Why is this scary? What could, like, what are you afraid could happen? And putting that out there. And then sometimes just saying it, like, is like, oh, you know what? Like, I, I'm being a little silly. Or maybe now that I said it out loud, like, it's not as scary as I thought it was. And now that I see the strategy for it, I just didn't have a strategy. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think those conversations absolutely come up um, for, you know, new CEOs who are going through these growth phases. And it just, part of it is accepting that you are going to feel like this on a regular basis, right? If you are staying in your comfort zone, like maybe you've made one breakthrough, but you're going to stay at that level if you don't reach the next limit and figure out how to get past that limit. Mm. And I think that's sort of, as an entrepreneur, if you want your business to grow, you have to accept that you're going to keep walking up to those limits and figuring out how to move to the next level. Hmm. That's really powerful. Everyone needs a Jill James. (laughs) This is awesome. (laughs) Now you talk a lot about pipeline and setting up a pipeline. Talk me through a little bit what you're referring to in that sense. And if there's maybe a formula that those who are listening could apply to their own business. Sure. So when I think about a pipeline, it's about knowing who your ideal customer is and what your what your offers are. And then um, if you're in more of a product or an e-commerce business, how many people are flowing through the business? Like I think of it, um, the example I got when I was learning for any business is like, if you had a physical store up front, how many people are walking by and seeing mm-hmm. it? It's a number. Right? So that, yeah. yeah, that's step one. Are enough people getting a look at what you do? Right. And then from there, you know, are you having a conversation with the people who walk by that are meant to walk in the door? So are you inviting in and calling to the people who are uh, the right people for you? Right. And accepting that some people might look like the person who should walk through the door, but you need to let them walk by. So or come in and go out. Uh, So when you have that group of, you know, people that, you know, are well qualified to be your customer, then that's the point where we really start with like, how do we develop them, right? How do we nurture and how many do we need? And then knowing like, this is, you know, where they fit uh, for the value of the sale. So, you know, if it's like, okay, I think this customer could be in my $5,000 package versus this person's like more in my $500 package. What's the effort that I put in? What kind of timeline do I look at? And then, you know, kind of knowing, okay, if I want to have, you know, $5,000 this month, I need to have, 10 or 20 or $30,000 available in total deals so that enough people sign up in that given month. So that's part of figuring out, I think for you individually of like, what is that flow that makes you feel confident as you get better at sales or as you refine your, your nurture campaigns, your lead gen, right? And you're calling more specifically to that person who's meant to walk through the door for you this will get easier and the amount you need in your pipeline will get smaller to feel confident that that, you know, that number can be hit. But there is a way to back into if I want to make this much per month or per quarter, what needs to happen overall? Like how many people do I need to talk to and what mix of people do I need and where do they have to be in the process to make that happen? So, you know, if you're really, really good at this, it's probably you need double what you want to hit in a month. You need two times that in your pipeline. Um, if you're just starting out or, you know, times are kind of inconsistent, like they have been the last year and a half, you might want as much as three or four times the amount that you want to hit in your pipeline because not you you can't hold on to like, I just got to have this one person say yes, right? It's like, hey, there are 10 people out there. We've had the conversation. I can go back and check in with them. Somebody's going to come through. Mm. Somebody's going to say yes, right? So I do think in that of like having the activity and cultivating your relationship with people who you know are qualified to work with you, then moving them along a path to working with you, knowing that not everybody's going to come through. Yeah, I think that that is a lot of times it's very easy to get emotionally wrapped up in the one or in, you know, maybe three deals that you've worked on for a really long time and then it doesn't fall, it doesn't fall through And to be able to take that emotion out of it and say, no, this is a numbers game, whether it's online or physical, like a physical interaction, 
that we just have to put ourselves out there. Would you say for those who are listening and love these ideas and are wanting to implement more strategy and purposeful action plans, but may not be able to afford a coach such as yourself, what would you say would be a good place to start on a smaller scale? Because I feel like you're working with huge companies. I mean, I don't know exactly what your ideal, like, I don't know exactly who your ideal customer is, but let's say that they've been in, in business for maybe five to 10 years and they're, they would probably be at a stage you're at, but let's say we're talking to someone who's been in business for maybe one to three years. Like, what would you suggest they do before getting to where you are as far as strategy and those mind blocks? Yes. Well, I do try for people who are earlier on or like kind of aren't at the point that they're ready to work with me yet, which is I want people to have at least one year of running their business because you don't know what you want to do until you've tried a little bit. So between, Mm -hmm. you know, one and two years is typically when I start with people because then they have clarity of like, I like this, I don't like this. Right. Um, And then typically they have at least $100,000 in sales. Otherwise, I mean, it's a big investment. You're going to make it out of your personal savings. So if you want the business to be able to pay for the investment, somewhere between one and $200,000 is typically a place to start with the ambition of, hey, I want to be this big. Like I want to double or triple or five times within a couple of years. Mm -hmm. I just want to be a, a, a significantly bigger size. So I think that some of it is like you, you do just have to go through. There are so many good and affordable programs around like developing lead generation and and thinking about like what you want your business to be and kind of basic business fundamentals that, you know, joining like pay $49 to join a webinar. That's, you know, paid webinars are often a good investment because they're just going to tell you stuff, right? Versus when you're in free webinars, you you know, there's a sales pitch coming, right? So you're going to get a little nibble of something and then you're going to have to sign up for a bigger program. So, you know, look for opportunities of people who will kind of just share information, you know, for, you know, a slightly paid way. Like uh, I have a colleague named Lisa Nicer, N-I-S-E-R, and she does a, a tax workshop and just the basics of entrepreneurial tax. And I think it's it's a couple hundred dollars, right? But she goes through like all the stuff you need to know as an entrepreneur of like why taxes are different than when you were a W-2 employee and what different terms are and just goes through it and you pay and it's one session and you know, you're done, but it's like a way to, to level up specifically what you need to know in those areas. So I think looking for people who can help you at that stage, everything has to be stage appropriate for you to get you to the next stage. So, you know, if you're really in an early stage, you know, I think I even go back to like some of the Amy Porterfield stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's meant for people making, you know, $50,000 or less and just getting started. But I, she's got good foundational and basic stuff. And there are a lot of people who like have scaled programs who will speak to the basics really well. And going back to like get those basics, that's great. Like that's going to serve you throughout your, your time. So whatever it is, if it's a local business organization or a women's business owner group, or, you know, I have a, a you know, just a group of us who own companies and we're divorced and we get together and we talk about <laughs> running our companies and being single mom. So, you know, whatever your your group is that helps you um, get in that conversation and have it. And I think that's a great way to start. Um, for me, like I always want to be of service to the community. So I have a free newsletter that I write every week. I often will post very informational things on my blog. Like I just post how to consider your health insurance for 2022 and what are different options for you? Should you hire your kids? And if you want to, how do you Mm -hmm. do that? Right. So I always try to put stuff out there that's sort of not necessarily like, Hey, here's how to work with me, but here are some topics that raise your general level of business understanding around how your personal financial life works with your business, you know, things like that. Of Like we've got to make your life run. So that I think is like, look for those kinds of things where it's highly informational, lots of information sharing, lots of support for you as an entrepreneur, really positive, you know, find things like that, that you can do until you get to the level that, you know, kind of opens the door to, you know, that you're, you're truly ready for that growth. Like you're ready to go and commit Um, because you need to be, if you want to level up, you've got to, you know, completely be all in. Yeah. 
I think that's really good advice because I've noticed that oftentimes those who we surround ourselves with in our personal, recreational, and business, it all affects our the way we think, the possibilities that we see for ourselves, and also even limiting beliefs that we may inherit without even meaning to. So that in and of itself is really, really good advice to look for opportunities to learn from people online and in person that can relate to what you're going through, especially as women and as mothers and finding people that are there to, to rally around you and really give you that encouragement. Can you think of a time just to wrap this up of a a time in your business that perhaps you learned from a mistake or something that you you really tripped up or an experience where something that may have been seen as a setback really propelled you forward? Yeah, I think at about the two year mark, you know, I was fairly highly compensated. My son was two years before I started, my son was two years old, kind of had like had this smaller scale business. And I really thought about like, am I truly ready to walk away from my career, right? And have this be the direction that I go. And I think at two years, 18 months to 24 months is a place where we're like, we're kind of at that tipping point. And I hear this over and over from people of like the last time I seriously considered going back to a job was 18 to 24 months. Cause the second year of business is a lot harder than the first. And I don't think people necessarily tell you that, but the first year, you know, all your friends and family want to jump on board and help you and all the obvious sales you make right away. And then the second year, like you have to go Mm -hmm. talk to strangers. And it gets harder, oh, yeah. you know, and there's definitely that moment when you're like, Ooh, should I, should I just get a job? That seems kind of easier. So I actually went through the process and like was deep in the interview process of being the COO CFO for a small publishing company. And, you know, I, I sat with the founder and I was like, you know what? I like making the decisions you're making better than being here. And like, and I also wanted, you know, I had that taste of the flexibility and freedom of, you know, I don't, I don't want to be tied to the flexible holiday calendar. I don't want to say, I can't go to this thing for my kids. And I think work is is changing. If you can find the right job, you certainly can find more flexibility than you could five years ago. But for me, there was just no way again, that like, I could be the mom I wanted to be and have a full-time job that was that kind of job. So that was like the burn the boats moment for me of, I have to fully commit to this business. I have to figure out how to make it work on my terms for the things that are important to me, for the times I want to be there for my family uh, and, you know, bake that into reinforcing, like, I'm not going to do this like other people do it. I'm going to do it in a way that works for me. I'm going to design the business that way uh, and I'm going to commit to it. So, you know, that was, that was four years ago now. And, you know, there, it doesn't, it definitely doesn't mean there aren't any hard times, right? Cause you know, every time you level up, it gets hard again, and then it gets easier and then you push forward and it gets hard again. So, you know, that the cycle of growth, I think is, you know, something we have to accept and, and I just, just push through and have our support around us. But I do think like that would have been like in that moment, a massive mistake to give up the business at the two year mark versus just, you know, trying to figure out like, what would this have to be to make it work for me? Mm, I love it. I love it. Pushing through the hard stuff. I think that you've talked a lot about very hands-on approaches to pushing forward when things get scary and, and investing in coaches and mentors. And that has been so helpful. If there is one last bit of advice, what would you say has been that's something that propelled you forward in those moments that you wanted to stop? Um, I think about what it would be like to have a job, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think about, I look at, you know, like, what do I want for my son? How much, you know, do I want for my self-care and taking care of myself and being able to direct the course of my life? And I think also now that, you know, I'm in more of a, a self-finance situation, like I'm completely in control of where the business goes and who I take as a client and how much I tune it up and down. Um, so to give that up and have somebody else calling the shots is usually the thing that is like, okay, go back, work the pipeline, call everybody, like find that incremental client, look at what's not working, right? Like figure out like, what are we going to do to get to the next, the next thing? Like take a day. I've, I often use like day use to go to a nice hotel just for the day 
and be in a different environment and like work on just have a, a day to think about like what my business is and work on some planning stuff. So I think that like sometimes removing yourself from your business and giving yourself a little space and actually letting yourself think about like, what would the world be like if I did this other thing? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you just need to give yourself permission to like look into the abyss and (laughs) be like, okay, what would that really be? You know, like every time I think about going back to a job, I'm just like, I just know that's not going to work. It's not. And so I I have to double my efforts and make this work and get smarter about how I do it. So good. So good. Self-care, taking time away. My sister and I, we do a quarterly hotel night where we go and we do different businesses, but we love talking strategy. And if you can find someone in your life that can, you don't have to be with someone. But for me, I find that if I have someone that I can tag team ideas and also take time to relax and really rejuvenate away from everything, especially as a mom, it just gives you so much clarity and that looking into the abyss. I love that. I love that term. I'm going to use that now. (laughs) So this has been so helpful, Jill. I think that you have given us so much to think about. And I hope for those of you who are listening, that you're listening with a pen and paper and have written down those step-by-step strategies. For those of you who are listening and want to hear more, Jill, tell us where we can find you. Sure. Um, my website is thejilljames.com. Um, I offer <laughs> I offer a free, a free 30 minute strategy session, uh, which is my people ask me about a consultation. That's what it is. So it's available on the website. You can book it uh, two weeks out. Um, so, you know, there's that and, and the newsletter I post on LinkedIn a lot. Um, so I put a lot of daily tidbits out there of things I'm thinking about, things that come up with clients. So all different ways that you kind of get to know me and and get a little bit of the recommendations and tips that I would give to you if you were a client, uh, but in a way that's uh, on your own terms. Very cool. And if you happen to have missed our LinkedIn episode, please go back with Mindy Rosser and listen to that episode about all things LinkedIn, because it is mind blowing what you can do to grow your business on LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. I, I use that as that's almost all the social that I do. Right. LinkedIn for my customer is is a great place to be. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Camille. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Call Me CEO. I would love to be friends with you online. Please subscribe to Call Me CEO here, wherever you're listening to this podcast and come hang out with me on Instagram. I am at CamilleWalker.co as well as Call Me CEO podcast. And each week I like to share with you behind the scenes of family life and running a business as well as tidbits here and there of things that I like. So come hang out with me. And I hope that if you are listening to this and you're not quite sure of what your purpose or your why is that you have taken my free five-day challenge of discovering your purpose and your why at CamilleWalker.co. Thanks for being here, friend.